I think they remembered it. They did a good job, that little break there after the first line. Wow. Nice. I, I like I like that a lot. Woo. You like it? Yeah? Okay. Kind of a little bit of oomph in it. Yeah. Ah, like that. All right. Well, that is the song that wasn't true, right? Oh, yeah, we covered that last week, right? We talked about that. Okay, so here's a couple other facts about that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Obviously, you can tell that the carol was written for three different men to sing the three verses. You knew that, didn't you? Right? Okay. It was written so that a man, a different man, would sing each of the three verses, highlighting the gifts and the things that they're saying. Does that make sense to you? Right? So, uh, you know, I sang verse 1, and Derek sang verse 2, and then Ray sang verse 3. Oh, that would be terrible for Ray sang verse 3. All right. That would really be bad. Right, Ray? <laughs> but it was written that way. As Mr. Hopkins wrote it, a different man would sing each one to highlight that king and that gift that is being brought. The second thing that I read about this song is that this is the first Christmas carol that originated in the USA to gain popularity. All the others before this had origins different than this one, but this is written in 1857. This was written in the United States, and it's the first one to gain popularity as a United States Christmas carol. Now, that doesn't make it any more special than anything else. It's just a fun fact to know and tell, right, to be a part of. But as we said last week, the thing that's concerning about it really is just that first line, we three kings, king, we three kings, we three kings of Orient are. I think I did that last week too, I think. Right? Were there three? Well, we don't know that. Quite possibly more. They weren't kings. We definitely know that as the word is used there in Matthew chapter 2. They were wise men or astrologers. And I loved what you put together there, Jamie. They, we don't have to follow the star. We can follow the sun. That was really, really good. Excellent, excellent. And we know that they weren't from the Orient, from the Far East, okay? They were from Far East, right? East of Jerusalem, Bethlehem. We know that, but they weren't from what we would consider even the Orient even today. So we know that. But And then we said, there's things about this that are very, very true in this carol, very much true. And so we went through those things in the carol and then mixed in with the story we said about these eight things that were true about them. They were guided by the star, right? And uh, I called it the global position star last week, GPS. But somebody gave me this one too, another GPS, God's provided star. Yeah, I thought that was good. Fun to get that email, have somebody tell me that. Somebody else come up with another one this week? You can just email it to me or text it to me. We're going to have fun with GPS as we go through uh, this series. <coughs> They came, and they came to worship, it says. Herod was troubled, greatly troubled, by the announcement of another king in his realm. The leaders knew the location. Micah, as Jamie referred to today, as Micah wrote, Micah 5.2, as we have it, as Micah wrote, it was going to be in Bethlehem of Ephrathah, the little city. And this city is going to become very well known because this is where Jesus is born. And the religious leaders knew that because they knew the Old Testament scriptures, which is great that they did that. Unfortunately, they didn't follow and they didn't seek 
and follow the wise men with the star to find the king of the Jews, the Messiah, as he's born. We know that when they came, the wise men came, they came to a house, and there was a child in the house, the Messiah. He was not a baby in the manger. He was a child in the house as they came to see him. And they came, and they got to worship. They said they came to do that, and that's what they did, and they brought their gifts. So, let's read it again, because it's God's Word, it's valuable, it's true history, what God has for us today in Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, he took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Father, this is your word. This is a true story. It's accurate. It's authoritative. It's been authenticated. And it's practical. Now today as we talk about wise guys and wise gals, continue that thought. Help us to be like these men and to worship you fully this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of weeks back, <clears throat> I was given 
these two bags. Uh, they contain frankincense and myrrh. I was given these bags by um, a group of five students who spent the week ministering here in Pueblo. They were from Azusa Pacific University in Azusa, California, which stands for A to Z USA, if you didn't know that. Azusa, A-Z-U-S-A, A to Z USA, that's what it stands for. And they were here working with Young Life. Um, they helped with Mesa, uh, which is a part of Aaron Bosel, who comes to church here. He collects medical supplies from all over the country. And then we, sh we come to his warehouse where he lives over by Pueblo S High School, and they pack them up, and they put them in a big container, and they send them. The last one went to the Ivory Coast. Uh, they've gone to Ghana and other countries. does it about two, to two or three times a year. So they helped him work in his warehouse. That's something if you would like to help, you could. What a wonderful ministry. Like 200,000 people will be touched by this outdated medical equipment in USA going where they can use it in Africa. What a, what a credible ministry, going to Christian ministries to be able to share Christ with people. Anyway, they were here. They helped serve dinner at Praise Assembly on Thanksgiving Day, and they did other projects with Dan Larson and, and uh, Jonathan Lewis with Young Life. We support them as a church. Anyway, so um, they went to Colorado Springs on their day off on Friday before they left on Saturday, and they brought me back this uh, bag of frankincense and, frank, um, gold, and myrrh. But I said to them, where's the gold? I mean, come on now. If you're going to make this authentic for me and I'm going to use it in a sermon, I need a bag of gold. <laughs> well, they didn't give me a bag of gold. They're college students, you know. They probably barely afford this. But uh, anyway, so I thought that was kind of interesting that I have those now and could share that with you. Um, but here we are talking about what these gifts that the wise men, the wise guys, brought when they came to worship Jesus. As we sing. Gold, as we, we understand in the song, gold is a, a precious gift given to royalty. And this is given to Jesus to indicate, as we said last week, that he's a king. And certainly he is. And we look forward to him coming in someday. As we sang, born a king on Bethlehem's plain. Tribute to royalty, right? Born a king on Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. King forever ceasing never over us all to reign. I hope you had that opportunity this week to allow him to reign in your life. He is sovereign, but to allow him to reign and rule in your life for the things that are taking place and so that he could be exalted in your life. Frankincense, as we know, is a perfume burned in the temple as an offering to God. Going back to Leviticus and looking at it, it says this in Leviticus 2.15. And you shall put oil on it, and he's speaking of a grain offering of first fruits. Okay, and you should put you should put oil on this grain offering of first fruits, and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain, and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. So as these offerings came together. One of these offerings, they took frankincense, this perfume, and they added it to it to bring this aroma, to, to bring this beautiful smell as an offering to the Lord, to say to him, you're important, you're valuable, uh, I honor you as I bring my offering to you. Now, as we look at it, it could represent a couple thoughts as we think about the gifts that the wise men brought to them. 
It certainly can represent <clears throat> Jesus' deity. Oftentimes, that's how the frankincense is used, that he is God. The second thought that, come, that comes to us is that uh, he, it also could represent the priestly ministry of Jesus. So we could look at it and say, this comes and say, bring this gift. It, it represents that they're saying, Jesus, this, this baby, can put perspective to it. This baby is God. Now, now we, you know, we, we might say when a person gets 30, you can, you can look at it that way. But, but look, think of the perspective of this coming to the baby Jesus. They're saying of him, he is God. He is deity. He is divine. They're recognizing he's no ordinary man. He's no ordinary baby that's here. He's both fully man and fully God. But also can represent this fact of the priestly ministry. That this is what Jesus is representing, this, this opportunity to, to be the priest for us, as was found in the Old Testament. Frankincense to offer I have, we sang. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. You can see both in there. Talking about deity, being God. And then the aspect of the, the priest, the, the praying and the praising and the lifting of voices of worshiping God on high. And I'm going to take the priestly role today as we look at it, but you're going to see the God role, the divinity role. Obviously, it'll be intertwined in what we look at this morning. So this morning, I'm going to take a lot of my thoughts from the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews talks a lot about Jesus and the high priest and the priestly role. It has extended sections on it about the high priest of the Old Testament and Jesus as the great high priest. Uh, ladies, I think you just completed a study on Thursday, right? And it was on Hebrews, and I think it was titled, Jesus is Better. Am I correct? Yes, thank you very much. Okay, just make sure you remember that too, right? Jesus is better. Now, if you go through your Bible like I did mine throughout the week, you'll see that the New American Standard says Jesus is superior, and other versions say Jesus is greater. But you get the point. The fact is, as the writer of Hebrews, who we're not really sure who put that together, numbers of people have been suggested for that. As the writer of Hebrews does that, he's looking at the Old Testament, and he's saying that now Jesus has come, and he is better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Covenant. It's this New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. He goes through all those things for us to understand that Jesus is the one we should worship and that he has done a new work in our lives and has brought new things into our lives that we should put into our lives. So I'm going to kind of concentrate on that a little bit as we go through this in the book of Hebrews. The first is this. Is I'm going to do a little, little comparison. The priest was appointed by man. The priest was appointed by men. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, and I'll have the scriptures up here for you, it says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. 
The Old Testament priest's role was necessary and it was designed by God to offer what? Gifts and sacrifices for sin. One author says this, the priests were like this. They were representative access. But that was a good word, a couple good words. Priests were representative access. It was the function of the priest to bring men and women toward God. And the high priest had the greatest role in leading the people to worship God. The high priest was ordained by God, but came from an earthly family. And through the correct lineage, he had to be from the tribe of Levi. That would be Aaron's family, as we look back into the Old Testament. The priest was appointed by men, but Jesus... Jesus was appointed by the Father. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, says this in 10. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus is better than the Old Testament priests. They were necessary. They were, they were appointed by men, God doing his work. Of course, they were necessary for what God had for us at that time or for them at that time. But now Jesus has come, and he was appointed by his Father. He was the, the, the premier one to represent us before the Father. I'm not going to make a lot of comments about the verses. The verses can probably speak for themselves. I will speak for some of them, of course. <laughs> Secondly, this. The priest offered sacrifices. Again, Hebrews 5.1. For every priest chosen from among, among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to what? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. That was what he's appointed to be able to do. God's design for that to happen. They offered these sacrifices. Day by day, the people took their sacrifices and they offered them to the Lord through the priests. I went back and looked at Leviticus Friday or Saturday, one of the two days, probably Friday, and I wanted to see what are the sacrifices that are listed. You've got the sacrificial offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. Those are all offerings that they offered to the Lord. And they were given daily. And on the celebration of Sabbath, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, tabernacles. They had a lot of sacrifices. <laughs> and a lot of opportunity to bring what God had said to them. This is what you offer to me. Think about that. Burnt, grain, peace, sin, trespass. Many of those given daily. And then on the celebrations of Sabbath, Pentecost, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. Wow! That's a lot of work. You know, pastors only work one day a week anyway, but the priests, they had to work every day of the week, I'm sure. Isn't it amazing what, what God asked of them? It was significant. And in some ways, it was burdensome for them. You see, the, the sacrifices reminded the people that first, their sin was bad and costly. Their sin was bad and it was costly. 
Second, that he reminded them that without a substitute, they would die in their sin. Without some way for their sin to be covered over, they would die in their sin. And thirdly, they needed this. They needed forgiveness for their sin. And we all do. And we know these offerings foreshadowed the sacrifice of Jesus. They pictured what Jesus is going to do because Jesus is better. But see, the priests offered sacrifices, but Jesus was the sacrifice. The priests offered the sacrifices, but Jesus was the sacrifice. Hebrews 10.10 And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He was the sacrifice for our sin and for the sin of the whole world. As we think about this, we think about Jesus as the priest, as the high priest. Thirdly, this. The priest offered continual sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It's only a shadow. It's not the reality. It was important. It was God's design. But there was something better. And that's what Jesus did for us. The priest had to continually offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And yet, we think about Jesus. Hebrews 9.28 says this, Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. So Christ, having been offered once, how many times? Once, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I prayed this morning, I thank the Lord for his first coming and also for his second coming and ask him, it could be today, it would be all right. It would be a great day for you to come again. I'm eagerly awaiting that time when he comes again. But he offered himself how many times? One time. But he's going to come a second time. (laughs) But as Savior, as the one to represent us, he only had to do it once. Where the priests, I don't know what they woke up in the morning saying, but another day, another 5,000 animals to sacrifice today. I don't know if they said that or not, but you can imagine. It was a job. You have one of those. And I'm sure sometimes you wake up in the morning and go, oh boy. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Continually offered sacrifices day after day after day after day. Maybe maybe they're kind of going, dude, you've been here every day. Could you just go one day without having to bring a sacrifice for your sins, okay? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just surmising. But think about it. Representing these people. But Jesus 
one time. One sacrifice for you and for me, for the people of this world. Fourth, the priest offered sacrifices, interestingly, for himself. Not just for the people, but he had to offer it for himself too. Why? Because he's a sinner too. He had to offer sacrifices for himself because he too was a sinner just like you and I are sinners. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 3. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of his people. Because he too was sinful. And he needed to have his sins covered over just as the people did but Jesus, but Jesus, love that thought, but Jesus, but Jesus didn't need to offer sacrifices for himself. Why? Because he was sinless, right? Hebrews 4.15, which we'll get to as we finish up. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. He was tempted. Oh, yeah. He was tempted just like you and I are tempted, but he was without sin. And because he was tempted, what? He can sympathize with it. He can understand the temptation that we're going through. He can understand the struggle with that, how difficult it is. But think about this. I was reading, reading this one author, and, and he brought up this illustration by C.S. Lewis. And I thought, you know, C.S. Lewis is a brilliant guy, and he just puts things so well, so many times. C.S. Lewis brings out the point of this. <clears throat> We know what temptation is, and we know how hard it can be. Agreed? We understand that. But Jesus knows even greater about temptation and how hard it could be, because every time he was 100% not sinful. Now, put it this way. You're tempted to do something. And you, you, you work through it. You, me, you're just going, oh, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going that way. Lord, you're helping me. This is great. Oh, yes. Oh, we did it. Okay. Oh, well, oh, sorry, Lord. I just sinned. I, I, I got 90%. I got 90% of, of that temptation taken care of. But, but, ah, oh, oh. oh can't believe I sin. See, we don't know what the next 10% is. The next 10% is really hard. It's like my, my friend a while back, uh, and we support him up, Open Door Ministry in Denver, the ministry they have to the, on Colfax Avenue and to the people of that area and everything. He, uh, they're having their 25th anniversary for the ministry. It's a great ministry. And he was going to run. He's, he's been a runner. And he was going to run 25 miles to raise money for his organization. And that's an incredible, that's an incredible, incredible 
tribute to that ministry. And he does run, so it's not, not out, of, out of sorts for him to do that. And I texted him, or I emailed him, and I said, or are you just going to go like, you know, another mile and point two and make it a marathon? <laughs> and he's going, well, I think 25 miles will be enough. Well, he did run it, and he did run the whole thing to get a marathon in. So he can say he's done a marathon now. But you know, that last mile, point two, is really difficult, really hard. And that's kind of the way temptation is. You know, if we, we get 90% of it done, but it's the next 10% that's the hardest to say, I'm not going to do it. And Jesus, every time, went to 100% and didn't sin. He knows way better than us how hard it is not to sin. Because every time he went to 100%, I didn't sin. Man, that's so good. May God help us to take that next 10%, or sometimes maybe the next 50% when we cave in too early, when temptation comes to us. But Jesus did not need to offer sacrifices because every time he said yes to God and no to that sin. Fifth, the priest's sacrifices had temporary value. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Couldn't take away the sins. Cover them, yes. But Jesus' sacrifice had permanent value. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected all for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, the one offering he made, the once for all offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those who have come into relationship with him. Those that have his righteousness applied to their account. You see, the Old Testament priest's role was necessary, but it was temporary. Christ's role as priest is necessary but permanent. His sacrifice had permanent value. Number six, the priests offered sacrifices that only covered sin. Hebrews 10.4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was important. It was what they were to do. It was what God wanted them to do. But, but it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But Jesus' sacrifice did what? It totally forgave sin. Quoting from the Old Testament, Hebrews 10, 17 and 18, it says, Then he adds, God adding, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of thee, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus can't die again. He's not going to die again because he did it what? Once. And when we have forgiveness, he doesn't need to die for us again because he's done his work for us. His sacrifice totally forgave sin. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, but Jesus' sacrifice is one sacrifice for us. Totally forgives sin. Number seven, the priest led the, the people led the people to the Father through himself. Back to Hebrews 5.1 where we started. For every high priest... 
chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Representative access, as I mentioned earlier. Representing, if we were there, representing you and me to the Father, to bring us to the Father for His work in our life. But Jesus opened the way to the Father by Himself. The priest only led them to the Father through Himself. But Jesus opened the way to the Father by Himself. Now, I've got to deviate a little bit here, but 1 Timothy 2.5 is so good. But there's only one God and one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave His life as a ransom for people. That's what Jesus did. The mediator, the bridge, the one that made it possible to have a relationship with the Father, as Jesus said of Himself, I am the way, help me, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He opened the day. He opened the way for us. He had this relationship with the Father. The veil was torn when Jesus died in His death. When Jesus died, the veil was torn. That, 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 um, veil, that veil, that that curtain that was so ornate and so beautiful, but, but so strong, put together. And it tears from the top to the bottom to show that God now, we have access to Him, and that no man pulled this apart. God did the work. Jesus did the work for us. That we could go to the Father right now. It's called the priesthood of the believer. We can go into His presence right now. We don't need a priest. We don't need somebody to lead us toward Him. We can go now because Jesus did the work for us. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Jesus opened the way to the Father by Himself. He opened that barrier so that we could go into God's presence. Number eight. The priest's mediation ended with his death. You're going, duh. Of course it did. (laughs) He's no longer here. Yeah, there's a point to this. The former priests, it says in 723, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Once the priest died, they had to go, who's up next? Next man up, as they say now. Football, injuries come. Next man up. Who's on? We've got to go to the next man. But Jesus continues to mediate on our behalf. The next verses after 723 says, But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. With Jesus, there's no who's up next. There's no man up. He did it all. He did it all for us. And for each person, that he did his work to mediate, and he continues to mediate on our behalf those who have come to know him as their Savior. As we kind of get to the end here, that means I have another 20 minutes. What a privilege. As I've done this comparison, what a privilege to be under the banner of grace and not under the rule of law. What a privilege to be there. 
As I was thinking about it, I wrote these words in here, typed these words in here. Man, I sure would be standing in line a lot to offer my sacrifice. Maybe not you, but I would be. That priest would be looking at me going, come on, dude, can't you go a day without sinning? Maybe he'd go, can't you go an hour without sinning? <laughs> what a privilege that we have to be under the banner of grace and not under that rule of law. First of all, I couldn't have been a priest because there's no way I could cut up those animals. <laughs> it would not have worked for me. What a privilege we have to be under the banner of grace and not the rule of law. Now, as we think about this, the frankincense, we've just seen how prophetic the wise man's gift of frankincense is to baby Jesus and Mary Joseph. Saying, he will be a priest that will make it possible to have this relationship with the Father. How prophetic that gift was. To say He will represent us. And what He's going to do will mean that we can go into the presence of the Father by His work. I'm sure He didn't understand all that. But as God led them, He brings this gift as a foreshadowing for what Jesus is going to do for us. They came to worship, and as a part of their worship, they offered their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts for a king, gifts for a priest, and gifts for a savior, which we'll cover next week. One author wrote this, in Judaism, kings came from the tribe of Judah and priests from the tribe of Levi. For Jesus to be both king and priest was more significant than we can ever understand. But then being both God and man is even more downright, is even more significant and unique. And then offering, get this, offering incense and worship to a man or a child was downright shocking. Offering these gifts and this worship to a man, but even to a child was downright shocking. We wouldn't do that. Well, why can we do that? Why could they do that? Because this was the Messiah. This was the king. This was the priest. This was the savior. The one for us that God had for us to make possible this way to the Father. So I ask you today, what gifts are you going to bring to Jesus this Christmas season, this Christmas season? What gifts have you brought to him this Christmas season? Let's worship him fully this season. Turn our attention to him in the midst of, even Derek said, the hustle and bustle of this season. Let's spend less so that we can give more. So we have the ability to do that as God has gifted and has shown you ways to be able to meet the needs of people around you. You ask God and he'll bring somebody to you that you could meet their needs. And love all. Love all those around you who said maybe the greatest gift you could give would be forgiveness to somebody. And to forgive them, even just in your heart, 
greatest gift you could give? What's the best presence you can give to the Lord Jesus Christ? Your presence. You. Your heart. To love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because we think about the high priest and what Jesus has done for us, I take you back to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. I don't think I have these verses all the way up there. But the premier passage about what Jesus has done for us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That's the first thing. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith. In this day and age when many Christians are not holding fast to their confession of faith. They've been deceived. They're walking away. Oh, it's all right. Oh, it's all right. Oh, I don't know if it really means that. And the author says to us, because of what Jesus has done, hold fast to the confession of faith. Don't let go of it. It's true what Jesus has done for us. It's true what he has in his word. And we need to hold fast to that, which we've confessed with our mouths. Our tribute to him, our worship to him. Hold fast to it. The Daily Bread this morning, if you happen to read it. Quote, I think it was Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. That's what we're trying to do in this ordinance about not having an abortion clinic here alone. We're trying to cling to what is good. Yeah, there's lots of people that disagree with us. But we know that it's wrong to take lives. It's right to protect life. We do it after people are born. We protect life. We don't want to take it. We need to cling to what is good. And there's plenty of religious people saying it's all right to take lives. One just got elected in Georgia. A pastor who says it's all right to take lives. Hold fast to our confession of faith. Cling to what is good. For we do not have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but one has been tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin, verse 15. And then he goes on in verse 16. And he says, Then let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We have this opportunity in this Christmas season, this Christmas season, draw near to Him like we've never drawn near. Honor Him, worship Him fully, draw near to what He's done for us. All the things we've talked about in these, all these eight things we mentioned this morning, what Jesus has done for us because He's better than these things, He's superior than these things, He's greater than these things because He's Jesus. And He did this work for us. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. We call this, as we mentioned earlier, the priesthood of the believer. That we can go directly into the presence 
of the Father to confess sin, ask for help, give an offering, intercede for others. And it says, as we both finishes up this verse, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You look at that passage and it means in the specific time of need. As we draw near to Him, we can find what exactly we need for that moment in the time of we can receive mercy and grace in the specific time of need. Hold fast, my friends. Hold fast to God's Word draw near to Him. What a privilege we have to do that. Don't you bow your heads if you would. Close your eyes. and Draw near to Him right now. He's got open arms. His throne of grace. He's interceding for the Messiah, the High Priest, the Great High Priest. We offer this prayer to you in the powerful name of who you are.